Amen. Congratulations, Mac and Amy. You also gained a son-in-law. That's a good gift. Wait. I can't say anything, and you all think I'm joking. I, I was, I yeah, all right, well, that will be edited out later. <laughs> uh, it's always good to be with you all, and... Um, if you will, turn with me in your pew Bible uh, to 3 John, that's uh, page 1907 in your NIV pew Bible, 3 John. We had some confusion earlier, and our reader read from John chapter 3 at 9 o'clock, so um, 1907, John's third letter, I should say. The elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are a faithful. You are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father. We ask that you would minister to our very souls this morning in a way that only you can. For we can get excited about things, we can become uh, joyful about good news, but Father, it's only your word that is eternal. And so we ask, Father, that you would take your word and you would plant it deep in our hearts, no matter our age, that it would spring forth and bear good fruit. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do that here this morning for us gathered in this place. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Truth and love. These are two words which could have a myriad of different definitions. When I say truth and love, you don't even know what I could say next. I could say anything. Is it, is it my truth? Is it your truth? Is it his truth, her truth, their truth? It's almost as if it's just a subjective topic, a subjective term. Is there anything 
like absolute truth? And love, my goodness, are we talking about romantic love or brotherly love or agape love? Are we talking about love which is just tolerance and acceptance? Are we talking about love which means as long as you agree with me, we have love? Are we talking about if you and I, you and I see eye to eye politically, then we can have love? Or is it just a, a feeling or, or an emotion? Is love self-defined? Love is love. The world today is absolutely tied up into knots over these two terms. Can a person have truth and not love? Can a person have love but not truth? Here's the reality. I don't expect the world to get this right. I don't have a great hope that, that, that things are going to get a, a lot better at any point in time because this is not our home. But at the same time, I have not been called to, to run out into the hills and build a, a bunker and, and stock up in ammunition. We have been called to look at a dying world that does not know truth and does not understand love. And we are called to be salt and we are called to be light to them. And we are called to encourage one another. And we are called to gather together as we are this morning. To praise the name of God together. And that we are called to go out and bear witness to that world that our message is far greater than any message that they will ever hear. And we are called to live that out. So whether you are a child you are much older than that. If you put your saving faith, if you put your saving trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then this is our calling. Obedient to the truth, walked out in love. Arthur Pink, A.W. Pink, was a, a Reformed theologian who wrote a, a number of great books and a number of fantastic sermons. His, his writing is so helpful. I've, I've used several of his writings in, in research that I've done in, in other sermons. Uh, in fact, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who uh, was our dear friend R.T. Kendall's, uh, was, was succeeded by R.T. Kendall at Westminster Chapel, Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, don't waste your time, he said this to a group of preachers, don't waste your time reading these other theologians like Karl Barth and, and Bruner. He said, go and read Arthur Pink. Read Pink. Pink would tour around America and Australia as the bell chimes for us. <laughs> and he, he traveled around America and Australia preaching and teaching but he was never really a well-known commodity until after he died. Pink finished out his days living in isolation. 
He and his wife were secluded up in Scotland in their last days, and, and, and they never really became part of a, a church body. They, they never got uh, uh, situated with a good church community. In fact, Lloyd-Jones also said of Pink, as it related to his inability to be patient with people and remain in a particular church. Remember, he's encouraged the reading of Pink, but here's what he says as it relates to Pink's actions. He says, if I had behaved as Pink did, I would have achieved nothing, nothing at all. I could see that the only hope was to let the weight of truth convince people. So I had to be very patient and take the long-term look at things. Otherwise, I would have been dismissed and the whole thing would have been finished. Here was a man who was grounded in the truth and yet for whatever reason was not walking it out. And his own friends testified against him. That's why Scripture is very careful to teach us that we walk these two things out together, truth and love, that we would be people who are marked by truth, that we would be strong in our convictions, that we would hold fast to the Word of God by the Spirit of God for the glory of God, but that we would also be marked by love and generosity, and grace, and humility, and hospitality, and care, because all of these are the markings of Jesus' life and ministry on earth. And so we read about these two things, truth and love, in this, specifically in this shortest a book of the Bible, the shortest letter in the Bible, John's third epistle. John has written his gospel. John would later write the book of Revelation, and John wrote three letters. The first letter was to a, a, a very general audience. His second letter was written to a specific church, and this, his third letter, is written to a very personally and specific individual and person. What is 3 John? What is our context? What will help us read this with proper understanding? As we said, this letter was written by the Apostle John, who, when he was young, was termed with his brother James, the sons of thunder by Jesus. The sons of thunder, because when Jesus and the disciples were turned away uh, from hospitality from a Samaritan village, it was James and John who went to Jesus and said, can we call for fire to come down to judge these people? Allah, Elijah, and the prophets of Baal. And Jesus, what does he do? He rebukes them. Because the Son of Man, his first coming was not one of judgment, but to preach the good news and to bring healing and to bring life. But compare that John in his youth 
to this John here in writing his third letter. He is referred to simply as the elder, the elder, from a a brash, arrogant man, young man filled with fire to this wise, gentle, loving, older man who is full of love and full of truth. What happened to John? Well, think about John's life from that moment of being a son of thunder. What has he experienced? He he has witnessed Jesus' miracles. He has witnessed Jesus' teaching and his preaching. He's witnessed his patience with the disciples. John, who who witnessed the the transfiguration and, and saw Christ with Moses and Elijah, a depiction of the the law and the prophets. This is John who would go on to see his Lord and Savior crucified on the cross and would be given the uh, position of caring for Jesus' mother Mary. This is John who would also see his resurrected Lord and Savior a man who has been well-discipled, a man who has been used well of the Lord. And John is writing this letter to a man called Gaius. Now, we don't know anything about Gaius. He doesn't appear to be in any sort of leadership in the church that we can tell. All we see is Gaius's character and, and that that character was being reported back to John. We see that there was obviously some conflict in the church, and and next week we're going to look at the conflict that has come into the church. But obviously there's some conflict in the church over over who was trustworthy, who can we listen to, who should we believe. There's so many mixed messages because preachers would travel from from house church to house church, and they would need other believers to, to take them in, to show them hospitality. And in John's second epistle, in 2 John, he warns the believers not to welcome in or even to greet the false preachers and teachers because that was only helping them in their spreading of a false gospel. He's saying, do not endorse these people, but the faithful, take them in, welcome them. So, what are the distinguishing marks between a false teacher and a faithful teacher? Now, these weren't denominational issues. They they weren't in disagreement over infant baptism and believer's baptism. No, they were disagreeing over whether Christ had actually come in the flesh, physically come. John says, leave these people alone The faithful teachers will be testified to by the truth itself. And so if you were a believer who had heard the gospel and your soul had responded to that, your your spiritual eyes have been opened, when you heard a, a, a true teacher, that would resound with you. Your spirit within you would would resonate with what was being preached, and you would say, This is a true teacher. But false teachers were coming in and they were peddling their own thing and they were telling you all sorts of lies. And so you could compare what they were saying with what was written in in Scripture. Meaning that their message was from the Word of God for the people of God. 
But these preachers would have great difficulty making their way, traveling from town to town and village to village. They, they didn't have Holiday Inn. They didn't, they didn't have Motel 6. They didn't have these things at their disposal. So they relied entirely on the hospitality of other believers, which is why hospitality was such a, a major issue in the early church. When Jesus sends out the 12 and the 72, he tells them that they will be provided for by people of peace. When Paul writes to the Romans, he fully expects that they will financially support his missions journey to Spain. And the book of Hebrews urges the hearers not to neglect hospitality to strangers. Two absolutely great needs, truth and love, together. So John writes to Gaius, verse 1, the elder to the, in the ESV, the beloved, I'm going to use that term, the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. What an affectionate opening. Nobody writes like that these days, do they? Beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. What does it mean to love in the truth? I think what he's saying here is he is one who is, uh, uh, continues to be faithful to the truth concerning Jesus Christ, the same Lord, that, we, that message that we've heard from the beginning. And it is the truth that binds us together. It's the truth that brings us together here this morning. It is the truth that builds the love that is between us. And how do we know love? We know love from the truth. John writes in his first epistle, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers because of the truth of the gospel, because of the truth of the gospel. We are able and are indeed called to love one another. Strangers never heard of it, not in the church. I may not know your name, but we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have more commonality than flesh and blood oftentimes do. Listen to what John writes in verse 2. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. This is often the opposite of what we say and pray, isn't it? Uh, I, I think often we, we pray that people would be physically protected, that they would be kept safe, and that being, in being kept safe, that their faith would go well because their physical health is good, right? But I think that's probably buying into some of the health and wealth prosperity gospel a little bit, into that mentality. As long as you are healthy, then your faith should be going well. You, 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 should, you should be encouraged. Uh, uh, there's this weird tying together of, of, of health and faith. Or it implies that maybe you're struggling. If, if your health is poor, maybe your faith is doubting and it's wavering, or we would expect that that would be the case. But that's not what John does here. When John, what John is saying here, he says, I pray that it may go well with you and that your health would be in good uh, order 
as it is already going well with your soul. Well, how does he know it's going well with Gaius' soul? Well, we read it in the very next verse. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified, again, this is in the ESV, testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. John knows it is going well with Gaius' soul because he is living out the truth of the gospel. They testified about his faithfulness to the gospel. Do you see this? Again, in, in the original, it, it says, to your truth. Now, today, we would read that and think, oh, dear, I really hope Gaius' truth is okay because everyone's truth is, who knows, this could be totally cattywampus. But he's saying here, Gaius' living matches the truth of the gospel. This is the word that has been proclaimed to you. And this man, by his actions and what he is doing, confirms that he has received that gospel and he is now living it out. Gaius is living out the truth of the gospel in love. He's walking in the truth. John is emphasizing that Gaius's faithfulness involves not only his holding to true doctrine, but also that his persistence in his actions are consistent with what is in the doctrine. And in verse 4 he says, John says, that his greatest joy is not that his 401k is strong, not that his children's academic and athletic successes are great, not that the design of his home is beautiful, not that his favorite sports team won a big game. His greatest joy is that his children are walking, active, walking in the truth. In fact, John says that his joy is complete when his children maintain fellowship with him and walk in the truth. He says that in each one of his three letters. Do you think that's important to John? He's gone out of his way in each of his three letters to the general church, to the specific church, and to the individual this is important to me. I'm conveying to you what brings me joy, and it is that you are walking in the truth. Gaius has remained faithful to the gospel. He's not fallen to the, the false teachings that were, that were swirling around. And he is a source of the elder's greatest joy. Moms and dads, what is your greatest joy as it relates to your children? Is it that they are academically successful and that they get into a fantastic college? Is it that they are athletically successful and get scholarships? Is it in your position, in your job, in your vocation, in that status? Is it is it, in, in again, in, in the way that your home, the appearance of your home? And, and this goes beyond families because Gaius is not John's physical son. He's his spiritual son. 
And so when we are here together as a body, we are, again, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and we're putting forth and putting on display constantly what it is that we prize. I wonder if we went around and asked all the children, what is it that your mom and dad prize or your grandma and your grandfather? You know, is it some sort of cable news network? Is it a cell phone? Is it, is it, you know, and I'm not trying to make this a legalism issue here, but this is a very much a heart issue. What are we putting on display that is of greatest value to the next generation? But I also understand that this can be the source of great pain for many people in this room. That for some of you, maybe for many of you, your children are not walking with the Lord. And so instead of being a source of great joy, it is a, a source of great struggle and pain. I think the word that John would give us today for those of us in that situation would be to remain in the truth and remain in love. Don't take truth as a, a two-by-four to your children and, and try to beat them up with it, insisting that this is right. Your children will despise you for that, and they will despise the truth. But you walk this out in love with compassion. I'm not saying forfeit truth. I'm saying we have to hold the two together. That is the message of the gospel as it was put on perfect display by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then John praises Gaius for his hospitality to traveling preachers. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. It is his efforts for the brothers that is faithful. That's what's faithful. You see, it is not just what Gaius believes that is faithful, but it is also his actions. And it is because of what Gaius believes that he is planted, what he has planted his faith in, that he can be faithful with his actions. Because if you're not planted in something that is faithful, your actions won't reflect faithfulness. But Gaius is planted in a living hope. He is planted in a resurrected hope. He is planted in an unconquerable hope. His faith is planted in Christ, who takes the stranger and calls us his friends and makes us co-heirs. Jesus, just as Gaius, who has been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, can take in complete strangers. And yet, because of our faith, they're not real strangers. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. And these brothers and sisters in Christ, you know what they're doing? They're going back to Ephesus where John was, and they're saying, we had an amazing time preaching in this little town. You wouldn't believe it. In this little town, there was a brother in Christ called Gaius, 
And he was a brother who was strong in the truth. And he was a brother who loved well. And he took us in and he, and he cared for us and he introduced us to people in the church. He is a dear brother. How good is it when people speak well of us? How good is it when people speak well of us? And I don't mean this in a, like a pride way, like you just want people to have your, your name on their mouths. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone you didn't know very well and you, you mention a, a friend of yours and then that person just immediately starts to gush over that person and they, oh, I love that person. They're so fantastic. Let me tell you, you know, we were moving and they came and helped us move and, and then you're sharing stories with them about how fantastic and how much you love this person and, and, and how helpful and insightful they are and what a, what a blessing they are to know them. I remember in Australia there was a well-known evangelist and preacher who was contemporaries with John Stott and, and Dick Lucas, and just like those two men, this man never married. And clearly the Lord used their singleness to serve the, the church global so well. This man's name was John Chapman, and in typical Australian lingo, they shortened it incredibly, and they just called him Chapo. He was funny, he was kind, he was generous, he was hospitable. He was a, a mentor to my pastor in Sydney. He, he had done some work with dad in the past as it related to evangelism. And I remember after Chapo died, watching his funeral online, and the Archbishop of Sydney got up and he was sharing, and he mentioned how deep of an impact Chapo had on, on so many people. And then he said, why don't we all take a minute right now and everyone just share with your neighbor your, your Chapo story. I mean, I almost burst in tears because it was immediate. Not a second had gone by and the room was filled with smiles and, and laughter and love and, and storytelling. And the problem was that finally they had to get up and say, stop, be quiet, stop. We have to keep going with the service because they could have gone on like that for hours. I have a feeling that would have been Gaius, maybe on a smaller scale, but that would have been Gaius. People would have gone on and on about how dearly he was loved, what an impact he had had on them. I wonder what would people say of you at your funeral and to not be so morbid, maybe at your birthday party. Some sort of celebration of your life. Would, would people easily share what an encourager you have been, what a, what a great help you were. I was privileged to go to a birthday like that recently and, and, and share, and it was like no one had to even stop and think of a story. It was just rolling off people's tongues, this, how, how loved this brother was. Or would they talk about how you may have had your doctrine perfect you dotted every I and you crossed every T, but you had no love like Arthur Pink. Then John urges Gaius to carry on. 
You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the pagans. These men are doing the work of ministry for the benefit of people like Gaius. They're there to encourage and equip the the saints who are gathered together in the churches. Therefore, they should be received and sent in a manner worthy of those whom God has sent. They come as servants just as the Lord Christ did. And and, and as Christ had nowhere to lay his head and, and was cast out in so many different places, these men will face very similar situations. But they will also be received by communities, by by the gathering of the saints. And what a joy that is to be received and sent in a manner worthy of God. For they didn't receive support from the pagans. Why? In the first century, there weren't universities and there weren't trade schools. There wasn't really tertiary education. There were these philosophers who would gather together in the town square and they would Philosophize. They would just drone on and on about how their philosophy was right. Really, nothing has changed. Um, that was a joke, but, you know. <laughs> anyway. But they would. They would, they would, they would try and uh, attract hearers, and then they would start these schools. And, uh, you know, with the hopes that some of these families would say, we want to send our son to your school, and then they would train them up in that philosophy. And some thought, just as there were Stoics and there were Cynics and there were Epicureans, Christians would have a school like this, and then they would just train up their people like this, that they were just another philosophy of life. But Christians refused to take this money because Christians were not saying they were just another philosophy amongst the rest. They were announcing the kingdom of God. They were telling people the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is not just a philosophy, that was a total worldview perspective that affects everything and everyone. So John says, these men come in the name of Christ, preaching the word of Christ, and they refuse help from the pagans. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Now, listen, I understand we may not be in the exact same position as Gaius or this church, but think about your care and support for missionaries. Think about your care and your support for, for ministries that, that strive to take the gospel to the lost, that strive to take the gospel to, to those on the outside. Think about how you care for and support the pastoral team here. Think about how you care for and support your small group leader, how you care for and, and support your, your Bible study leader. Think about what it means to support people in ministry. We are, we are We're all fellow workers for the truth. Our work as preachers is carried on by your support. Dad is able to go to the UK for a couple of weeks like this because he's being carried on by your your prayers and your support. It it allows for for that ministry to exist, and and that work is leading to, to ultimate destinies being changed in the lives of people. 
I read a, a letter from a young Muslim convert a while back. Uh, he was watching the, the Genesis series that we did a while back, and, and he was talking about how it served him, and it blessed him, and it encouraged him and equipped him. See, your support of the truth motivated by love is serving and blessing this community here and to the rest of the world. What a privilege it is to be a part of something that is just bigger than ourselves, to be, to be supportive of something that is outside of ourselves. And when we see that people are blessed and are walking in the truth, that can serve to be our greatest joy. I want to leave you with three questions. I think they'll be on the screen, but if you have a pen, it, maybe it'd be good to write them down. I want you to think about them today, and I want you to think about them this week. There's no excuse, because I know there's pens in the back of each pew, <laughs> and there's also paper. Think about these three questions. Where does your great joy come from? Where does your great joy come from? Do people speak well of you when it comes to truth and love? Do people speak well of you when it comes to truth and love? And finally, are you a fellow worker for the truth? Are you a fellow worker for the truth? I hope that these will serve you well today, tomorrow, and the week ahead for the rest of your life, that these would serve as a great motivation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we think of the separation that took place on the cross when Christ calls out, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We think and we know that it is because of our sin that he bore that there was no response from heaven. And we know that truth as believers, we, we, we've We've grown up hearing that, and we, and we know it in our hearts. But what do we do with that truth? And we see the love that Christ put on display on that cross, and we, how much of it is it for us to ask these three questions of ourselves? Oh, that we would be remembered as people of great truth, but also of great love. And Lord, I know that we could find ourselves on the scale of being more of a truth person or more of a love person, but it's about these two things together. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit, if we are feeling deficient in one of these areas, that you would give the growth. If we need to be... Uh, 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 undergirded by your word, Lord, that you would put us in a community that will help that, that you will help us to have a hunger and a thirst for your word, 
to grow in the knowledge of truth, but that this would not be a knowledge that puffs up, but that this would be a knowledge that sends us out. Because what have we to fear? Our salvation is secured. We're already seated in the heavenlies with the Lord Jesus Christ. What can they take from us? And so why, why would we want to be known for being angry, bitter people? Let us instead be people who hold dearly to the truth and speak in love, that the message would be heard and the message would go forth. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.